Welcome to the podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message brings you hope and encouragement. If you want to share what God has done for you, you can email us at saw at rttnchurch.com. That's S-A-W at rttnchurch.com. SAW stands for Signs and Wonders, and what better way to display God's power than through your testimony? Let's get right into the message. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Uh, as I spoke earlier, this text is one of my favorite texts in the book of Acts because it gets, it gets at the heart of an issue that I think is really important to the church in this hour. It's not just important to the church in this hour. The issue of unity and love have always been important to God. It seems to me, however, that we are in a moment and in a, in a divine kairos opportunity in this time that we're living in where God really wants to demonstrate what heaven on earth looks like because the earth is so full of, quite frankly, what hell looks like. How many know it needs a picture of what heaven looks like? And I think Acts chapter 10 is a beautiful thing because I didn't read it and I'm not going to teach it, but if you go looking at Acts 10, you remember Peter, who is a kosher Jew. This man doesn't eat anything unclean. He doesn't touch anything unclean. He never goes into anything unclean. He doesn't go into a Gentile's home because the Gentile's considered unclean. In fact, as I was reading this this week, I was reminded that even the Pharisees, when they walked down the road, they would, they would clasp their jacket to themselves so that it didn't swish when they walked because they were afraid when they were walking, if their garment swished and touched a Gentile, they would become unclean. So they literally wrapped themselves in their garment as tight as they could and they walked with little steps like this so that they didn't touch. There are people still walking like that. Don't touch me. I am clean. Don't get near me. You're not my kind. And how many know God is just tearing that nonsense out? Because I'm going to tell you right now, the people who are untouchable are not like Jesus. He could be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I'm going to get this off my chest so that I can teach without being bound up. Preachers who don't let people touch them wear me out. You are not greater than Christ. Shepherds ought to smell like sheep. Say amen, somebody. If you love people, you ought to be among people. You are not so high and holy that people can approach you. If you are, you need to get your heart right. And in this text today, if it's nothing else, it is God trying to break down the walls that even, listen, Christian leaders, i got to get off this because I could go down this road and I don't want to, but Christian leaders, Peter was the quote-unquote bishop of the church, and yet he is about to miss a divine appointment because he is so programmed to disqualify those who have been previously disqualified that he is going to miss a moment of breakthrough. God is getting ready to bring Gentiles into the kingdom and a holy man of God is getting ready to miss it because of his preconceived notions. And I just want to tell you today, just because you're saved doesn't mean you got your ducks in a row spiritually on the inside. Sometimes you are convinced you're right and it takes a breakthrough from God to snap that mentality off of you and I and get us in a place where we can open our heart to what God is doing in the earth. And that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 10. So the story of Acts chapter 10 is much bigger and it's far more uh, detailed than the excerpt of the story that I read to you today. But my assignment today is not to teach on the walls coming down. I have taught that before. We will teach it again. The assignment today that I felt like God wanted me to lean into was this whole issue of Cornelius. Everyone say Cornelius. Now, what I find fascinating about this text is that Cornelius, number one, is a Gentile. So through the eyes of certain people, he's already disqualified and declared unclean because he's simply a Gentile. Not only is he a Gentile, he's a Roman soldier, which is unique because you, 
Understand that Roman soldiers in that day were among the most rough and crude persons that would have existed in the Roman Empire. Not only was he a Roman soldier, we are told he is a centurion, which meant that he was the overseer and leader of a band of 100 soldiers in the Roman Guard. And not only is he a centurion that oversees 100 soldiers, but we are told that this particular band of, of, of uh, soldiers is called the Italian Band. And from all that we can understand and gain from history, this was a pretty rough bunch of uh, people. So you have this man who was not in any way saved. He's not in any way, uh, he, he doesn't have uh, the history that some people have uh, it religiously or even spiritually. He's probably not been raised in a synagogue or in church. He is a Roman soldier. By all accounts, this man was exposed to the roughest ways of living and, and we, are, we know this from history. The Roman soldiers were vulgar. They were, they were, they were mean-spirited. They were, they, were, they were just menaces in many ways. And yes, they kept the peace, but they were violent and they were hard-hearted men. They were rough soldiers. And yet, the Bible says not only was a Gentile, not only was he a centurion, not only was he a Roman soldier of the Italian band, but there is something about this man, although he has several things going against him, something is happening in his life and grace is working in his heart. And I want to bear down on something right here for just a moment because I feel like I need to remind this house that God called us to be a place of grace. This is a place, don't get weird on me here and don't check out on me, but this is a place of discovery. I, I would be nervous if everyone who come to our church knows everything about the Bible they're supposed to. We're not doing our job if everybody in the church knows everything about God. What do you mean, Pastor? I thought you wanted us to know about God. I do want you to know about God, but there ought to be some people looking for God in our church, and if the only people who can hang, hang out here are the ones who know everything, not only are we arrogant, we are missing the harvest. I'm missing some help right here. I'm missing it. I don't know where my help is. You and I should be a welcoming people. I got a letter this past week. I thought it was fantastic. I don't know which one of you did it. But we've been talking about you, whoever you are, all week long. I got a letter sent to my office this past week from a believer who goes to another church. And they were in a restaurant. And this past week, they sent a letter to me about a member in our church. And this person who sent me the letter has a handicapped child. And they struggle with a handicap that makes it challenging for them to go out in public sometimes. And this dear sister and her precious handicapped child were in a restaurant and one of you went up to the sweet lady not knowing she was saved and born again, offered her a word of encouragement, spoke a prophetic scripture that God had laid on your heart and let her know that God was going to give her strength and grace for this journey. And she sent me a letter and said, I am overwhelmed. She said, if I didn't already have a church home, I have the letter on my desk. She said, if I didn't have a church home, I'll tell you, you can verify this. You read the letter, Chris. In fact, I read the whole letter to the staff, and now I'm telling all of you about it. Why? Because what you reinforce, you reproduce. And I want someone in here to know that these prophetic acts of obedience, of sharing the love of God and making a difference, what you are doing is you're making sure that people who may, try, may be trying to find God, you are increasing their likelihood of finding him when you honor him by telling people how good he is. And this lady's life was impacted drastically this past week because one of you were kind enough to say God loves you.
I don't want this house to be filled with know-it-alls, just know-it-alls. I don't want this house to be with, filled with people who just know that they've arrived. We need to have some people like Cornelius who are Gentiles, who don't have all their ducks in a row, who don't have all their apples in the, ba in the bag. You don't have all the answers to all the theological questions. Here's what you know. I am trying to find God. I just want to know where he is. I don't have all the answers, but I'm hungry for more of him. Cornelius was a Gentile, but he was hungry. Now, I'm going to show you principles about hunger because I have found out that if you're hungry for God, it will exceed your lack of knowledge about him. Well, I know so much, Brother Wallace. You know, Usually some of the most ignorant people I meet are the ones who think they know it all. You know, there are educated fools. Now, before I meander down this road too much, let me please qualify by saying, I do not think God puts a premium on ignorance. Right? I how many know we should educate ourselves and we should be better and we should, we should expand and we should increase our knowledge? I believe in all that, but I'm going to tell you right now, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There are many educated fools who say in their heart there is no God. I would rather be hungry for God than think I've arrived and know everything and be living in a place called deception, exempting myself from the revelation that comes only to those who humble themselves before the mighty hand of God and hunger for him in a quiet place. You say, Pastor Kevin, I don't know everything. Thank you. You just qualified yourself to know more. People who think they know it all exempt themselves from further revelation. God is never running out of revelation. God is never running out of revelation. In fact, if you, and we talked about this last year, I talked about it all year long. He is the God that is to come. He's not just the God who came, He is the God that is to come. Even in heaven, He's the God that was, that is, and that. Wait a minute, I'm in heaven. How can there be more of God to come when I get to heaven? I'll tell you how. That's why we have to have eternity. If you ever put an end on eternity, it would cease to be the vehicle that could reveal the person and the manifestation and revelation of God. Because every time they circle the throne, can you imagine angels who have been circling the throne for eternity and they never got wore out, never got tired of saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. How can they be flying around for eternity and continue to declare it because every revolution produced a new revelation. Every time they circled the throne, they saw something different because he is the multifaceted. Oh my God, I get ready to say something right now. He's the multifaceted manifold God. You can never ever find the end of him because he is the God who, he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning. Come on in here, somebody. Just because you've been serving him 30 years doesn't mean you've seen everything there is to see and you know everything there is to know. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think so stop acting like you know everything and put your learning cap on and say there is more of God for me to know. Hallelujah. This man Cornelius is a Gentile. He doesn't know everything but he's hungry. I found out God can work with hungry people. Amen. Two things, actually three things I want to lift for your consideration about this man. Number one, he feared the Lord. Write this down if you're taking notes, please. He walked in the fear of the Lord. The Bible said he feared the Lord. Now, I want to address this briefly, and I'm going to move on to the more germane points but there is something about the fear of the Lord in this generation that we push back on. We don't like to talk about the fear of the Lord. Amen. Well, I am a son, and I am a daughter, and I am a friend, and I don't walk in fear. Thank you. That's not what I'm talking about, though. There are two kinds of fear. If you're taking those, write this down, please. There is a servile fear. This is from Martin Luther. Martin Luther 
try to help us understand something about this concept of the fear of the Lord. Now, why would I want to walk in the fear of the Lord? Well, Jesus, number one, said to Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he said, Do not fear the one who can kill the body only, but fear the one who can kill the body and cast the soul and destroy it in hell. Now, that's not what I said. That's not what some, that's not what some condemning religious theologian said. That's what Jesus said. Don't just fear the people that can kill your body. Fear God who can cast your body and soul into hell. Why would he say that? Isn't that harsh, Pastor? It's harsh if you look at it through the lens of fear, which our generation has attempted to produce. There are two kinds of fear, and I want to make sure you understand that Jesus encouraged us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Not only did Jesus encourage us to walk in the fear of the Lord, but Paul encouraged us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 said, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You and I have got to develop this whole thing about walking out our salvation and becoming more who God has called us to be. This issue of sanctification should be done in the fear of the Lord. Now let me explain why it is significant that Cornelius walked in the fear of the Lord and why you and I should as well. Remember that the writer of Proverbs says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of wisdom, the end of the walk with God is not a revelation of fear. It is a revelation of love. Amen. Don't miss this. The end of our journey with Christ is not a revelation of fear. It is a revelation of love. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. If you and I are going to know the love of God, it will, become, it will be because we have a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord. Two kinds of fear, write this down, servile fear, S-E-R-V-I-L-E. -E. Martin Luther, who I hardly ever quote, but his, his stuff on the fear of the Lord is so good for us. Servile fear is slave fear. That's exactly what it means. Servile fear is the kind of fear that a slave has in his heart toward a master. The other kind of fear is called filial fear, F-I-L-I-A. F-I-L-I-A-L. -L. Write those two down. Servile fear and filial fear. What is the difference? And I'm not trying to get semantic, but somebody needs this today. The fear of the Lord that you and I should have is not servile fear. It's not like we are fretting the torture and punishment of a mean God who's ready to beat us up. That is not the kind of fear that produces confidence. You and I should never wake up in the morning afraid of God. But filial, the filial fear of the Lord, in fact, the word filial comes from where we get our word family. It is the kind of fear that is produced from a son to a father. I didn't know you were going to be in here today, but you look really good. Come on. Yeah, this is mine right here. I don't know where he got skinny jeans from, but I'm not talking about the jeans he has on. I'm talking about being skinny, right? He's, he didn't get that from me, praise the Lord. He got that from his mama. He, Isaiah, Caleb Isaiah, my 15-year-old my Bubba, I call him Bubba, he should not wake up in the middle of the night or early in the morning afraid that I am going to be something that I have never demonstrated to him that I am because all I've ever shown him that I am to him is a loving father. He should never be afraid that I'll change in my nature toward him. He trusts dad, but he also honors dad. And he also takes out the trash can when dad says, hey, bub, will you help me and take out the trash can? Yeah, he does that. Because the first time he didn't take out the trash can when I asked him to, we had a nice conversation. <laughs> and when he acted like, all, you know, and I want to say this to you. I want you to know that discipline is a part of love. Do you love me? Have I ever had to discipline you? I've had to be disciplined. My mama's sitting right over there in the end. Mom, wave your hand. Have you ever had to discipline me? Yeah. Why does someone discipline? You discipline those you love. Why? Because when you act in ways that are not in keeping with your identity or your inheritance, you must be adjusted so that you don't keep living beneath your privilege. And oftentimes we don't think discipline comes from God because we think God is our fairy godfather. 
And that he's more interested in our comfort than he is our development of character. But he has a high calling on your life. And if he, if he lets you act foolish without interrupting, very few times have I ever had to spank Isaiah, correct? But I have. There are times I had to, in love, use my hand and put it on his gluteus maximus in love so that his medulla oblongata got the picture that that kind of behavior can never be endorsed or reinforced. It must be broken and challenged so that we don't continue to act a fool. Fear of the Lord. I totally believe that one reason we see so little of a miraculous in this day and time is because the church has preached you don't have to be afraid of God. And while I totally agree he is not to be feared as a terrorist, he is to be honored as a father who is holy. He is not my chum. He doesn't bust a sag with me at the mall. He's not, yo, 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 what's up? He's holy God. And when I come to him, it is a privilege to walk into his presence and to be called a son. I am not entitled to it. Neither did I deserve it. It is still a thing of holy awe that when I know that I am in his presence, I do not flippantly, casually stroll around. I want him to know I love him and it is my privilege to be in his presence. And although Cornelius does not have it all together, he has something that is powerful and it's called the fear of the Lord. He walked in the fear of the Lord. The Bible says that the angels of the Lord, listen, this is a reason to walk in a holy awe of God. The fear of the Lord, the angels of the Lord encamp round about those who walk in the fear of the Lord. It's what the Bible says in the book of Psalms. When you walk in a holy awe of who God is, he's not, listen, we have to break this mentality and thought process in Western church that God is some cool cosmic bellhop that's just kind of floating out in the middle of an ethereal nothingness. He's like, oh, God, no. This God is holy and awesome. He, hurl, he holds the earth in the palm of his hand. He measured the mountains in a span. This is an awesome God. Do you understand that? This is not some thimble-sized God that you put up on your mantle. or a, There are no pictures of God. Have you ever seen a picture of God? You, now, I know we all got the picture of Jesus that they painted of the guy in prison that we thought looked like Jesus, and we say, that's Jesus. But, but, but whether that's Jesus or not, God the Father has never been articulated because he is spirit. He is so higher and so much greater and so much awesome than you and I could ever imagine. You will never put him on a canvas. You will never define him to a definition. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is not like your buddy or your homie or your best friend or your BFF for life. He is Yahweh. He is holy. There is nobody like him and when we come into his presence it is not with a casualness it is with a sense of awe and respect and we lift up our hands and we lift up our voice and we bow on our face because we recognize he is greater than the potentate and the president he is greater than the vice president and the viceroy he wasn't voted in he was born king of kings and lord of lords and because of that we stand in all of him Fear of the Lord. So what does it look like, Pastor, when I come in to walk in the fear of the Lord? Your heart is in a posture of awe, respect, and humility. And the great thing about it is, as awesome as he is, he is Father. He is Father. You should stand in awe at times. If you haven't stood in awe of the awesomeness of God, you haven't gotten close to him lately. Woo! You stand in awe, you stand in awe, and then all of a sudden you're reminded as awesome as he is, he's Abba. That God, oh, I feel like preaching. That 
God said I could get close to him. That God said that your mother and father may forsake you, but if mother and father forsake you, I'll never be able to forget you for I inscribed you on the palm of my hand. That God said you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God said that I know the thoughts I have for you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to bring you a future and a hope. That God said you're the righteousness of God in Christ. That God said you're the head and not the tail. That God said you are my beloved. So the next time somebody asks you, who do you think you are? Ask them how much time do you have? Because my heavenly father owns the earth and the fullness thereof. And instead of me coming in and forgetting how awesome he is, I will forever stand in reverence of my daddy. He had the fear of the Lord. The second thing he had was, this is crazy. This man doesn't even know Jesus. You say, Pastor, this man knows Jesus. Nope, he's heard about him, but he ain't saved. How do I know that? Look over at Acts chapter 11 real quick. Come on, take your Bible out. Acts 11. I'm going to teach. This man is not even saved yet. Now, I believe he knew about Jesus, but I don't believe he was saved yet. How do I know that? Because look at Acts chapter 11, verse 14. Go to see, he tells Cornelius, go see Peter, who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. Amen. So Acts eleven fourteen lets me know he wasn't saved yet, but he had a prayer life. Y'all can't handle this. This man who's not even a Christian has a prayer life. And Christians who know Jesus don't have a prayer life. I'm not going to get no help on Sunday morning. I want to ask you a couple of questions and get all up in your business for a minute. I want to be like Noxema. I want to come up under the foundation, and I want to deal with something, and I don't want you to squirm, wink, wave your hand, cry, or repent. I just want you to sit there and take it for a second, okay? When is the last time you had a prayer meeting? I need you to take note of this. When is the last time not you were driving down the road, listening to US 101 or Power 94, and somebody ran across the street in front of you and you said, oh, Jesus, and you call that prayer. It's not what I'm talking about. I want to ask you when the last time you had a prayer meeting was, when you really got down and prayed. I'm talking about when you prayed until your soul was poured out and the Holy Ghost got poured in. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to tell you right now, there are too many people who are living on a breathing machine spiritually. You are hooked up to a respirator called Sunday morning church. And the only reason you have a pulse is because every Sunday we hook you up to a machine and we shock you back into place and you get a little bit of life on the inside of you and you think that's Christian living. I came to tell you that devil is a liar. God is looking for a people who wake up on Monday morning with the same passion that they served him with on Sunday. He is not just a Sunday morning. You better help me. He's not just a Sunday morning God. This is not just a Sunday morning religion. This is a religion relationship with a God who put death on notice and he kicked a hole in the end of a tomb and on Sunday morning he walked out and said I'm Alpha and Omega why in the world won't the church pray somebody say this with me God say it like I say it say God give me a praying spirit Some of y'all are like, oh, get them words back. Oh, no. I don't want that. What we want is a Facebook spirit. Yeah, I told you we're going to get rough today. We want a Twitter spirit. We want an Instagram spirit. But I'm praying for a praying spirit to hit the body of Christ. If we'll pray... Heaven will be opened up and fire will fall. If we'll pray, heaven will be opened up and rain will fall. If we'll pray, tumors will shrink and dissolve. Cancer will get out of bodies. Demon-possessed people will be set free. Where are the prayer warriors in the church?
Well, Brother Wallace, I try. But, you know, I pray three minutes and I get all just discombobulated and stuff. and Just don't know what to pray for. There are seven billion people on this planet. Two billion of them, if estimates are correct, are saved. And you don't know what to pray for? 60 million babies aborted. And you don't know what to pray for? People living in injustice and poverty and have no hope for tomorrow. And you don't know what to pray for? Sons and daughters being slain in our streets and blood flowing and we don't know what to pray for? Democrats fighting with Republicans, grown men acting like kindergartners, and you don't know what to pray for? You know why we don't know what to pray for? We pray for ourselves for three minutes. Bless me, bless my pocketbook, bless my family, bless my mind, bless my hairdo, bless my fingernails, bless my weave, bless my extensions, bless my 401k, bless me with a new car, bless me with a new house. I'm telling you, I'd be out of stuff to pray for too if all I prayed for was myself. But when I tap into the glory of God and I know that I'm called to make a difference, sometimes they got to come get me out of prayer because I I get lost in a place of intercession. I don't know what to pray for. Because you forgot you had authority to pray. My God, Deacon, I'm telling you right now, oh, Jesus, nobody ever elected me to a, to a position. Huh. Nobody ever elected you to a position. But I have authority to make decrees and declarations. Oh, Apostle, I'm coming right now. I said, you've got authority to make the... You say, Brother Wallace, this sounds a whole lot like word of faith. Well, you sit there in your doubt, and you sit there in your helpless unbelief. But my Bible tells me that he gave us authority to trample. He gave us power to deal with the devil. And there are too many people sitting in church acting as if they are helpless to the hell breaking loose around them when the Bible said you are the answer for the cancer. You are the cure for this nonsense. Lord, I may not even get through this message. Pray. Pray. Ask. And it shall be given. Seek. And you shall find. Knock. I'm trying to control my faces. Because I got an email recently that said I looked like I was a maniac at times. <laughs> True story. You look crazy. Ask. And you know what the Greek text says literally? Keep on asking. Mm. Seek. And keep on seeking. Knock! When is the last time you ever went to somebody's house and went like this? <laughs> no, that ain't what you do. You knock. And you see them moving on the inside. So you knock again. And if you, if you get there long enough and get frustrated, you do the palm. Why? Because the fact that you didn't answer doesn't mean you're not there. The fact that I know you have the answer causes me to stand there even when you delay and you're coming. Because I have found out that prayer is not about me getting from God what I want when I want it. The weight of the answer is about as much about my development as it is about me getting what I'm knocking for. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying? 
every now and then prayer will take a minute because he wants to do something in you while you're waiting on him to do what you've asked him to do for you. Prayer. I don't even know how to reconcile this theologically. The man didn't even know Jesus and he had a powerful prayer life. Well, what are you saying? I'm saying you know him, where's ours? I wish I could say things nicer sometimes. It's, you know Jesus. What's keeping you and I from having a powerful prayer life? Seriously. I want, I want you to take inventory. When's the last time you prayed? Not, Lord, got to hurry getting this meeting. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Bless my children. Bless my family. Bless me, Lord. Amen. Nothing wrong with praying those prayers like that. But I'm not sure that gets you known in heaven. You can have the kind of prayer life that builds a memorial in heaven. Do you, do you hear what this text says? I think this text is actually revolutionary and amazing. It says God saw the memorial his prayers and giving had become. Can you imagine that? Like walking through heaven and pretend I'm God. I'm certainly not, but just pretend I'm God. Just God walking through heaven being God. And then he looks over and, oh, that's Cornelius' memorial. Oh, that's Cornelius' memorial. He's being God, supervisor of the universe. And yet God called Cornelius' prayers and giving a memorial. It literally means in the Greek, an unforgettable offering. Hallelujah. Two times in the whole Bible it's ever mentioned. The woman who broke the box in the, in the book of Matthew, and here, Cornelius. Cornelius' prayer life. Listen to me. You may feel alone, forgotten, ostracized, alienated, like you came from a horrible family from nowhere, going nowhere. But I'm going to tell you, a prayer life can put you on the map in heaven. Can I just tell you this, and I'm going to wrap it up. Heaven does not get impressed with what earth gets impressed with. <laughs> Nobody knows Cornelius is significant in the heavenlies. But heaven called Cornelius unforgettable. You may not feel very spiritual, very deep. You may not feel like you've been saved a long time. You may feel really screwed up. You may feel like you have problems. You may feel like your past disqualifies you. You may feel like the, all the mistakes you made could keep you out of the thing that God has intended for you. I want to tell you, nothing in your past can keep you from building an unforgettable, unforgettable memorial in heaven. I'm slowing down a little bit because you need to get this and think about this. Your prayer life is building a memorial in heaven. Does your memorial, mm, how shall I be nice? Does our memorial look like a Lego log cabin? Or is it something that captures the attention of heaven? Every time God sees it, he's reminded about you. What are you spending your time building? A memorial on earth? Or a memorial in heaven? And if you're not careful, you'll spend your entire life trying to build a memorial on earth because you were living for the approval and the audience of the masses instead of understanding that the unseen God the awesome God of the universe who lives and operates in the spirit 
through his spirit, his eyes go to and fro searching the earth for those whose hearts are upright, who have sought him. Prayer will capture the attention of God. Let's get a marketing plan. Let's boost our image. Why don't you stay hidden for a while? I told the students, I told our sons and daughters at RSM this past week, I was teaching a class. I was teaching class on Tuesday morning and I was talking about the secret place. (laughs) Jesus said, not if you go into a place of prayer, but when you go into a place of prayer. Shut the door behind you. Why? Because if you don't shut the door, Facebook, emails, Sister Yay, Brother Flip Flop, Aunt Josie, Uncle Bob, and everyone else in between, old girlfriends, old boyfriends, everybody will try to come into your secret place. Jesus said when you go pray, shut the door behind you. And the Father which sees you pray in secret will reward you openly. And something hit me I'd never seen. If he told me to come in and shut the door behind me, what does that mean? It means he was already there waiting on me. Is what I want to tell you about prayer. There's a reason why it's called the secret place. You need to get there and keep it a secret and don't let anybody know that you're going there. Run there and be with the Father. I don't care how many miracles you see. I don't care about the new job, the new car, the new house. Stay in a place called prayer. Shut the door behind you. Lock yourself in with God. I don't care if you play. Pray 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or 12 hours. Pray until you feel your soul touch heaven and heaven touch your soul. If you will pray, God will ignite a flame on the inside of you. And the mess you don't know how to deal with will get dealt with when you find a place of prayer. I'm done with this. Two things created this memorial in heaven, not only a prayer life, but his giving. I'm going to lose some people right here. I got people who, ooh, praise the Lord, pray. Ooh, praise the Lord, fear the Lord. Now you get the giving and people start grabbing their purse. Not because they're ready to give, but because they're running to the car. I want to tell you something today. You ready for this? I'm going to declare this over you. You and I are getting ready to step into the greatest financial blessings we've ever experienced in our life. I don't care if you receive it or not. The 12 that said amen and the two that were almost clapping but scared to clap because nobody else was clapping, they're getting ready to step into something. You know why I can declare that? Because my God is not a God of decrease. He is a God of increase. And some of you, you would praise God if you had peace that your bills were paid. You would praise God if you know your baby could get a scholarship. You would praise God if you knew that God was big enough not only to pay your EP bill and your gas bill and your electric bill, but God was big enough to give you peace for your future. There are too many people in the church who live in a lack mentality and they think God is a little God talking about a little thing he's doing in little lives. He is not El Chipo. He is El Shaddai. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Your God is not in trouble. He never had to get a loan. He never had to borrow of interest. He is a God that owns it all and you need to start living like your daddy knows how to take care of you. Well, I just wouldn't want more, Brother Wallace. I'm afraid you'd go to my head. Then get your heart right. How selfish is it to just want enough for us to live comfortably? Just pay my bills, Lord, and I'll be just fine. What about the hungry people living next door? I'm getting ready to get all up in the business because most people who act like they don't want me to talk about money don't have a problem talking about it when the bill collector calls and wants their money. When's the last time you chased the mailman down and said, I don't want this bill? We come to church and giving is optional. I'm, I'm offending tens of 20 of you by the minute. So let me just, since I already got you mad at me, let me just keep going here. 
Devin's nervous. <laughs> According to the most recent data from State of the Plate, 10 to 20% of church members pay an actual tithe. So let me break that down for you here. About 17, 1,800 people a week flow in and out of this house. Over the period of a month, about 17 to 1,800 people call this church home. If 1,800 people go to this church and this statistic is true, on the high side, 360 of you pay tithes. Surveys indicate, latest surveys indicate, Christians give 2.5% of their capita. You know what we call that? A tip. But it ain't a tithe. Because a tithe is 10%. Pastor Wallace, I was really excited about coming to this church, but you're about to run me off. If the next church you run to don't tell you this, they don't love you enough to be a part of transforming your future. I'd rather you walk in obedience and be blessed than me not tell you the truth and you live in ignorance and never wonder why you never walk in blessing. I was 17 years old when I first heard a message on tithing. My mom is sitting on the second row right here. We, she took me. I went to church. I'm 39 years old now, right, mama? 39, yeah. <laughs> I'm 39 years old. I've been in church 40 years of my life. <laughs> because I went to church nine months before I was born. Yep, I was a member of the church before I ever come out screaming. My mom and dad used to run around in the bars and the night mama found out she was pregnant with me they stopped running to the bar and they ran to the church and never left the church since hallelujah, hallelujah. I was 17 years old apostle before I heard the first sermon on tithing because we said things like this growing up in my church let's get the tithe out of the way let's get the offering out of the way we developed an entire generation who got offended because the tithe and the offering were always in the way. And anytime you stop service to give, they got offended because they thought, you are quenching the spirit. Amen. Somebody help me before I start walking on pews back here. If you take time to give, you're quenching the spirit. Any spirit loose in the church that doesn't want people to give needs to be quenched. The greatest breakthroughs I've ever had in my life came when God required something of me that I was not wanting to give. God has never in 39 years of living ever asked me to give him something I didn't have, but he has often asked me to give something I wanted to keep. And watch this. You would think all of this giving that Cornelius did all of this giving Cornelius did made him a broke man. That's why I don't talk about giving as much as I probably should. Because I, I, I used to think of it through the lens of, if I keep telling our people to give, they're not going to have anything. The reality of it is, if I don't challenge you to give, you'll never have anything. Because he don't give seed to the keeper, he gives seed to the sower. How can he ever get more seed in your hand if you're only going to keep what you got? Nobody eats an apple seed pie. Everybody wants an apple pie. You don't eat apple seeds. You eat apples, my God. And if you're going to have apples, you got to sow seed. What was that? A fake smile. Because I'm told. But church growth gurus, when you talk about giving, smile. Please hear me. If you don't ever get challenged to give and you stay where you're living, your giving will always accommodate where you're living. 
And if you're ever going to change where you're living, you're going to have to change how you're giving. <sighs> and I will say this to you, and I'm done. Please. In a happy, happy, happy key. <laughs> if you miss paying your tithes or giving an offering and you think you dodged it, you miss the heart of the kingdom. If you've ever said, I'm going to pay this first and not pay God and got away with it and hell didn't break loose and car didn't break down and you start thinking, see, the tithe is not that important. You miss something. You miss that when you give tithe, you are not building or investing in a seen kingdom. Tithing and offering is building something in an unseen kingdom. And here's what's crazy. When you give tithe and offering into God's kingdom, even though you don't see it with your eyes, heaven sees what you're building with your giving. Look at your neighbor tell him, neighbor, heaven sees what you are building. I feel the Holy Ghost on me right now. Heaven sees, tell him, come on. Heaven sees what you are building with your giving. And one day you're going to put a withdrawal on everything you've invested into the kingdom. And some of you on that day are going to have nothing to withdraw because you invested nothing. I'm not mad about it. And you know what? This may sound like a pastor who's nervous about bills being paid. I want to tell you right now, this has nothing to do with budgets or bills. This has to do with walking in covenant with a, a God of provision. If you can make a paycheck and not immediately think, God gave me this job and the strength and wisdom and understanding to work it, and I ought to give back to him a portion of it. If that doesn't cross your mind, you are not walking in the kind of covenant he desires for you to walk in. I want to tell you this, if you don't know this already, you are looking at the least qualified individual to pastor a church like this and to lead an operation like this. I'm not just saying that. I confess to you, and you should know this, very few days do I know what I'm doing. Oh my God, we can't be a part of this. I'm just telling you. There are very few days that I know what I'm doing. There is not one day when I don't fall down and say, help me. I don't know what to do here, Lord, but help me. I don't know how I'm going to do this, God, but help me. And I want to tell you, I'm going to keep leaning on him. And some of you are going to have to get more dependent on God with your giving. I'm just pastorally loving you right now. You are not going to change your life. Some of you are supposed to own the duplex you're renting. Let me take my bow tie off here. Some of you are supposed to own the apartment complex you're living in and renting. My landlord, my, well, you're about to be the landlord. See, you can't even catch that. Some of you are like, I don't know, I'm so broke. You ain't going to stay broke. My tithe today is much more than my tithe 20 years ago when I started tithing. I had to pass the test of tithing when I was making $24,000 a year. A year. Well, you ain't never had to live on the government. You don't know what you're talking about. I lived on WIC. Devin? Did we live on WIC? Y'all ain't never had to go buy no cheese blo blocks with no coupons. Y anybody here know what I'm talking about? Can I get a gallon of milk? Do you got your coupon? Yeah, WIC. Thank you, Father. Come on, somebody. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to not have an unlimited data plan. I'm not going to get no help right here. 
I know what it's like to not have an unlimited data plan and not have cable so that I can pay my tithes. Y'all, y'all, oh my God. Do you see people bowing up right now? Don't get in my business. It's called priority. And now I got some cable. And now I got a cell phone. There were times in my life I had to wait on that and demonstrate I'm going to put him first. Some of you need to build for your future and stop, stop building for your now. And the only way to build for your future and not build for your now is called investment. And where you invest determines what your future looks like. So here's what I would say to you. Your giving is building something right now. What are you building with what you're giving? Are you building the kingdom of this world? Or are you building the kingdom of God? If you build down here, moth, dust, and thieves will take what you invest in. But do you know why Cornelius never lost his inheritance? Because he built it in a place. He built a memorial in a place where thieves and moth and dust could never corrupt I'm done. You can be unforgettable in heaven. You say, Brother Wallace, I just don't have the kind of money that gets heaven's attention. I'm broke. You know what? The woman with two mites is being preached about to this day. Because she taught us a lesson. It's not about how much you give that makes you unforgettable in heaven. It's about what you have left over. What do you mean, Wallace? I mean, when she gave all she had, heaven took notice. Even though it was small, what she had left over meant she had to have a miracle from God. I think I'm going to stay there for the rest of my life. I want to give in a way that when it's over, I have to keep depending on the provision of Yahweh. Stand with me. I'm through. I want you to get your tithe and your offering in your hand right now. I'm going to end this very differently than I'm used to ending a sermon. Some of you in this place today, family, I love you. But I don't want us to be an average church. And can I just say this? You don't come downtown in the hood. You don't come downtown in the hood and start a church because you want to rake in the dollars. I can tell you five neighborhoods to run to in this city where there's a lot of per capita millionaires. I didn't run there because I know where my help comes from. And I also know that God called me not just to be a taker, but to be generous in my giving. What do you say? This city needs a generous church. I have prayed for God to make many of you millionaires. If you leave after you become a millionaire, I'll haunt you the rest of your life. <laughs> Why would I pray that? Aren't you scared if they become millionaires, they'll lose their way? No! I'm scared if they don't become millionaires, we won't have the money to feed people and clothe people and help people and lead people. How many know this is a significant thing? I've been praying for God to give some of you one invention and the tithe off of the first installment of what they give you will pay for the balance of the youth building. Now, I don't know if God can do that. You weren't here obviously seven weeks ago when in one offering $4.5 million came in. Where have you been? Fill my cup, Lord. Throw your cup away and get a 55-gallon drum. How many want the blessing of God to rest on your life? How many want to build a memorial in heaven? How many want to be unforgettable before the face of the Father? Lift your hands if I'm talking to you. I want to bless you, and then I want you to bring your tithe and offering to God today. Lord, this house shall be called a place of blessing. 
You have been generous to this house. We will not be average. We will not be an average church where only 10% of our people give. I declare in the name of Jesus we will be a generous church. I declare that next week we will not only raise $60,000, we will raise more than $60,000 for the, for the sons and daughters and the community and for the families in this city that we're going to help. Lack will not be our problem. Say that in the name of Jesus over your life. Lack is not my problem. Say it over your family. Lack is not our problem. I need you to declare it like you want to, like you want it to happen. Come on, open up your mouth and say, Lack is not our problem. Say, Our God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Say, We will be the head and not the tail. Blessed when we come in. Say it. Blessed when we go out. Say, I declare between this day and the end of this year, the greatest increase I've ever seen in my life is coming on my house. And in the name of Jesus, I receive supernatural provision. And I will give glory and honor to God and be more generous than I've ever been in my life. Somebody give God praise all over this building right now. I wish you would praise Him like a spirit of generosity is getting ready to hit your children and your grandchildren. Your stingy husband is about to get generous. Ready? Lift your tithe and offering up. If you're giving online or by text or by the, the phone app, I just want you to lift whatever up. If you're giving it all, lift it up. I want to pray over it. Lord, I bless every seed, every tithe, every offering. The tithe is yours. It belongs to you. We, your people, will participate in the advancing of your kingdom by giving this tithe and offering. We declare, Father God, that out of this seed sown, an abundance of harvest will come. Father, we give the tithe today because you are our king and we believe in your kingdom. And this is not law-keeping and law-abiding. This is the kingdom of God. And we are your citizens and we will advance your kingdom in this earth in the name of Jesus and to the glory of God. And everybody shout it. Amen. Amen. Come and bring your tithe and let's celebrate. Can we play something? Yes.